Welcome, film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera and, most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda. Let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome, listeners, to the Cinema Pathway podcast. As filmmakers, we are at our core storytellers. Storytelling has many different definitions and components, but I think one of the most important things about a story is that it connects with the audience at an emotional level. Uh, Great stories leave you not just entertained, uh, but you feel something. Uh, I would say the truly exceptional ones, uh, they entertain you, they make you feel something, but also they make you think and maybe even question your own assumptions and biases or open your eyes to new things. a lot of these movies try to address difficult, controversial topics, and I think that's a challenge that a lot of filmmakers would shy away from. Uh, our guest today is a filmmaker that has definitely not shied away from that. His award-winning film, Noventa, exposed a former U.S. immigration policy that, like most U.S. policies, was a bit convoluted. Uh, he's produced an award-winning science fiction series and to give back to the film community, he founded the Miami Web Series Festival. So now he gets to hand out awards as well as earn them. I am happy to welcome Brian Thompson to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Brian, let's see if I get these right. You are a filmmaker, producer, writer, director, actor, festival executive and founder. Uh, like me, you're also a veteran. So thank you for your service. Uh, very much unlike me, you hold both a JD and a Master of Laws. Did I leave anything out? I think you covered everything. Jeez. Interesting background to kind of bring you to where you are today. But let's go back to the beginning. Where did all this really start for you? Yeah. So it's been a very winding road for me, as you can see. Right. Um, I've always been a creative guy. I grew up in Detroit um, and in Detroit, there's, you know, a lot of really talented people. And, you know, we had Motown and and. You know, I obviously I grew up like after that era, but I feel like there was still the kind of the remnants of that sort of sense that um, you can make it as an artist. Right. So I had that in the back of my mind, but I didn't really have a blueprint for it. You know, I grew up in a family where, you know, you go to school, you get an education, you get a job and you work that job like that. That's the um, that's the process. So it was it was always something where it's just like, okay, I have this thing in me. I need to share it with the world. Um, But I'm convinced that I also need to do something else in order to eat. So because of that, my life has always kind of followed two different tracks. Right. So I I did the schooling thing, you know, I got my and But while I was doing schooling, I've always done something else. So, for example. I went to Eastern Michigan. Um, I studied international trade because I always I've always been like a language guy. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to like live overseas and have those experiences and, you know, have the the 007 lifestyle. Right. You know what I mean? At least minus the being shot at. Right. And so um, so I studied that. And while I was studying that, um, I met a guy who was also getting a degree in something 
not related to uh, art or music. And he could make beats and, and he could make songs. So I was like, wait a minute. I can sing. You can make beats and songs. I think we need to try to become famous. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, so I that's how I got started with him. And then, you know, one thing kind of led to another. And next thing I know, you know, like there's there's a long trajectory of stuff that happened. But throughout my entire life, I've always been left brain, right brain. I've always been pursuing that really solid sort of corporate um, mogul lifestyle. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I've been actively, aggressively pursuing my art. Um, and, and I, you know, I was when I was 18, you know what I mean? And it took, went, went from there. So you started in music. Yeah. See, yeah, I, I, music. I didn't mention singer, singer <laughs> and, and recording artist. Yeah. I started in music. Um, you know, when you're growing up, everybody thinks they can do something well. Right. So like, you know, I'm a kid. I don't really have anyone telling me, Hey, you're a great singer. But then I'm in high school and I sign up for this talent show and I won the high school talent show. So I was like, wait a minute. Do you remember Maybe what I you sung? Something. Yeah, man. I sang. Um, <laughs> so at, I sang. So I was really big into New Edition, right? So I sang um, uh, Earth Angel by New Edition, which was by somebody else and by somebody else, right? <laughs> um, so I sang that. Um, and I also sang. It was like a, a two-part performance. And the other was... Um, it was at this moment by uh I don't remember. He was a like a older white artist, but he had a, had that raspy voice and um it was like what did you think? Oh, um Oh, um it's not it's not Joe Cocker, but it was a guy who sounded like every we all thought it was Joe Cocker, but it wasn't him. Um I know exactly the song. I know exactly the song. So you know, I mean, I, I went to a, a very, I went to a private uh, school and very mixed and you know, predominantly white. And so, like the combination of those two songs, all the older parents, it just killed them. It just killed them. So, um, <laughs> so like everybody went crazy, and I won. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I got something here. You know what I mean? Maybe it's not just me. Um, and so yeah, I started doing stuff and. Um, and that led to um, when, so I, I dropped out of school for a little while, <clears throat> trying to find my way. And I started doing this thing where I was like going to these bands and, and you know, trying to audition. And then there was like, a sometimes there were singing groups too, you know what I mean? So I did that thing. Um, and it was just, uh, you know, kind of one thing led to another. Um, I didn't really get anywhere, but I got great experience and, and, you know, built up sort of my confidence. And then I went back, finished up. My, oh, okay, so I digress. Greg Harden is on the, Greg Harden is a, a coach on the um, University of Michigan athletic team. Yeah, but he's not actually a coach. Actually he is the, actually coach. um, He's like the therapist for the team, right? So he's the person that motivates you to win. You know what okay. I mean? Um, and he's worked with all of these, um, you know, Michael Phelps, um, Tom Brady, you know, all of the the greats, right? He worked with them. And so 
I met him. And he, you know, we I st- I met him because he was looking for somebody to do like a uh, anti-drug song for him um, because he had this this campaign going on, you know, one of his. And so I, he was like, I need a guy. And I wrote something and he loved it. And then, you know, we kind of really just started connecting. He became a mentor. So next thing I know, he's like, look, man, you need to go back to college. You need to finish college. So if you, he's like, I will help you put out this album that you keep jumping up and down about if you finish college. So he was like the catalyst for me realizing I have to live in both those left brain, right brain spaces. And so, you know, that's how it happened. And then, you know, um, I get out of school, I'm doing my thing. And um, eventually I end up going into the military. Um, you know, it was like I, I jumped over a part where it's just like, okay, um, I go to school, I have this job, they don't want to pay me what I'm worth. So I'm like, you know what? I always wanted to live in Miami. So I moved to Miami. I was going to ask, at what part did you say, I'm sick of the Michigan winters? I'm sick of the cold. I need to get out of this. I think it happened at like 10, 11 years old. So it happened right around the time Miami Vice came out. When Miami Vice came out, I was like, done. No more Michigan. Just I was like, just give me an opening. So I'm working for this company, right? And I convinced the company. Um, I mean, it was legit. They needed to expand. I was the only person that spoke Spanish, you know, at the company. They said they want to expand. You were doing business in Latin America. I'm like, we should have an office in Miami, right? You win, I win. Mostly I win, but we both win. And so <laughs> so I put together this whole presentation pitch. It was, oh, it's so theatrical, right? <clears throat> and um, and they're called, so let's try it. So we tried it. It really didn't make sense for them, um, you know, economically to have an office in Miami where they could just have me travel. Right. Um, but I didn't want to leave. You know, I I had been here for like 90 days in corporate apartment doing all these things. Um, and so I was like, I'm staying and, but all of a sudden I don't have a job. So then I flipped back to the other side of my brain and I'm like, I better audition for a band. So I auditioned for a band, South Florida based band that's going overseas. And so I start touring with this band. Um, you know, so I'm just like, I'm not using my degree at all, but I'm, you know, I'm doing the, the, the other side of, uh, you know, my creative side. And then I get back to South Florida and I don't know if you've ever like been in the, you know, the, if you've been involved with bands or like in South Florida, but there's so many bands in South Florida that it's like, it's hard to make a decent living. You know what I mean? And we're like over, for example, in Singapore, we're in a five-star hotel every night. You know what I mean? And then here, it's just like, you know, gig here, gig there. I can't live like that. So now I got to go get a job again. You know? And so I go get a job. And um, and the job happened to be a job where they needed somebody to go live in Ecuador. So I go live in Ecuador. And while I'm there, I start a band. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so then I'm doing that, right? Um, you know, I've always been interested in film, but I always saw the barriers to entry to being like too too much. So now I'm like, okay, I wanna I really wanna get 
I, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'd love to do some film stuff. I don't know how to how to write a script. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. So it just lingers. Okay. Then 9-11 happens. I'm living in Ecuador. 9-11 happens. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, I speak these languages. I'm going to go sign up. So I go, I fly back uh, to Miami from, uh, from Quito and I sign up for the army, you know, fast forward. Now I'm in basic training. I was supposed to be a cryptologic linguist. Uh, I was telling you, but um, I had married between the time I signed the documents and reported for duty. I married a Colombian. <laughs> and they were like, ah. <laughs> Usually they don't make their choices like that till like after they've, you know, enlisted and gotten to their first base. And right, right, other right. Things. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I did that. I mean, you know, just, I had so much fun in, in Ecuador, man. And I was like, it was the Brian Thompson band. So at the time I was singing like, um, just everything from Projecto Uno, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, Santana, everything that, like, if you were Latino, you could relate to it. But if you were a black American, you could relate to it. If you were white American, you could relate to it, too. Okay. So, you know, it was like, it was top 40 on another level, all right? And so, and there was nobody in the whole country who could do that. So, um, it was great. Yeah, I was singing Nelly, you know what I mean? Just like everything. Um so anyway, you know, I'm doing my military service and I deployed to Iraq and I'm like, you know, I've I've had these thoughts in my head this whole time. And, and I've been in the military about seven years now. And because you didn't go crypto instead of going to the Defense Language Institute in beautiful Monterey, uh-huh. California. Right, right. Where did you end up going to MOS school? Um, Fort Eustace. Yeah, Fort Eustis, Virginia, transportation. My condolences. <laughs> Fort useless. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it just, it is what it is. Like, I, I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, my service. Uh, I felt like even though I wasn't doing what, um, you know, what I had set out to do, it's, it's, it's weird how it happens. Like, a lot of times you don't get what you want, but you get what you need. And I feel like if I had been, you know, uh, 11 Bravo or, you know, I would have probably been, especially during that time, I'd been deploying all the time. And my I wouldn't have had a moment to even think about what do I want to do outside of. Right. And I, and I've had friends, you know, like I have a really good friend who, you know, so we went we went through that stuff. And then I went to officer candidate school, became an officer. And it was like, you know, my buddy. I was like, hey, I can get you in because I wanted Intel. Mm-hmm. I always wanted Intel. And my buddy's like, you know, I can get you Intel. And um, I didn't do it because the woman that I had married at the time, um, she didn't want to move from Fort Eustis. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay. Um, so he did Intel. And, you know, he had, I mean, the stuff that it happens to Intel guys. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A lot of stuff. He went through a lot of stuff. And, um, and, um, you know, he's no longer with us. And I appreciate that. I mean, you know, that's, I, I just feel like everything happens, you know, for a reason. And you, your purpose mm-hmm. is just, it's revealed to you over time. You know what I mean? So I'm on this treadmill um, and I just get this idea. I'm like, hey, what about a, an, I, 
I should do an action movie. And I had, when I thought of it, and this, you know, to this day, every time I get an idea for a movie, it's like, I know the beginning and the ending of the movie, like before I start writing. And it's just, it's, I can't really explain how it happens. It just comes to me. And it's just like, at first it's a concept. And then it just, all of a sudden it goes from concept to, oh my God, I have a movie in my head. So I don't get writer's block. It just, it just, it just flows. I, I mean, I have sat down to write and the ideas in my head open up final draft. And then for the next hour, I'm just like staring at the screen. Like, come on, come on, brain. Come on, brain. Talk to the fingers. Talk to the fingers and type it out. So that's, you're very lucky. I, you know, and I, I know that. And I think that um, as part of it, it's like when when you're given something like that, you know, you feel a certain level of responsibility too. It's like, okay. Um, I just, it's, I never thought I'd really be in a place like that where, okay. So, and, and by the way, because, you know, getting back to like how this whole thing played out, I had no idea how to write a script or anything like that. So when I get, I'm just saying to myself as I'm on this treadmill, you know, and I was in, I was in the Baghdad area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Camp Liberty. Okay. And so I'm like, if I make it back, um, I'm going to make sure I do what I want to do in addition to, you know what I mean? What I have to do, you know, cause there's a certain response. There's a certain like pride that comes from, doing what you have to do. You know what I mean? As a man, I think that, you know, you don't really expect a life where you can do only what you want to do. Uh, You know, it would be nice, but I think it makes us stronger doing what we have to do as men. That's just, you know, um, that's how I feel about it. And so I like doing what I have to do and then rewarding myself by doing what I want to do. So I, um, I'm like, if I make it back, I'm going to make sure I I do this thing. So I made it back and I was like, okay, I'm going to find, you know, I'd done some, some acting in like independent films and 48 hour film competition and stuff like that. For those of you that don't know what the 48 hour film competition is, look into it. If you want to torture yourself, I highly recommend participating in one. Yeah. And, and I've done uh, two also. The, so the, the, dis, the torture part is the fact that these are people that you don't have any continuity with. And so generally, and so like you end up with, sometimes people don't finish the project at all. So if you got into it for exposure, it's just like, oh man, come on. Usually you don't get a product that you can use. So yeah, I mean, I had done that kind of stuff, um, but I didn't have any experience. So I found a filmmaker, a local independent filmmaker um, in the Virginia area who had done some stuff that I thought was pretty cool. You know, it was just, at least visually it was cool, you know? Um, and I was just like, Hey, let's make some stuff. You know, I'll, I'll, um, at that point I was an officer. So I, you know, I was, I had a little, um, money to play with whatever. And so I was like, okay. I thought you could say I was an officer. So I had time. I wasn't doing much. <laughs> That's a myth. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, so what I found out with with the whole officer thing, everybody's like, you know, don't become an officer because um, it's too political, right? But that politics also comes with 
you know, time commitment, right? Because this is like, you're expected to stay in the office late. You're expected to do a lot of stuff that, you know, um, generally speaking, you know, unless you're, you know, a senior enlisted, you know, just uh, private stuff is going home. You're not. <laughs> Very interesting background. You know, a lot of things that I think have contributed to your story and things that have come out. We're going to talk a little bit more about your stories that have come out as a result of your experiences right after we take a quick break. Cinevideotech and Paradoxical Films are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story Master Training Workshops. You will learn how to work with actual 16mm and 35mm film and film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. In addition, the workshop will teach you what it takes to work on set as a first or second assistant camera, the fundamentals of lighting, and the pathway to becoming a director of photography. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tell your story for information on dates, pricing, and how to sign up. Hurry as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly. And we are back. I am joined today by Brian Thompson. Brian, you've done a lot. You still do a lot. You wear many different hats all at once. How do you manage all that and how do you balance all the different things that you do? Um, well, if, if you ask uh, my fiance, she would say I don't. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to um, prioritizing, right? So everything can happen. It just can't all happen at the same time. So it's, you know, and I say to anybody that has, you know, anybody out there that like has a job, like a regular job, even a job that they hate. And they're just like, you know, I always wanted to, I always wanted to be an artist. I always wanted to be, you know, I always wanted to paint or, or sing or whatever that thing is. Right. Um, I think it is a tragedy if you say, because I have this job or two jobs or three jobs, I will never be able to do this thing. You know what I mean? Or because I have these children or whatever it is, I just I feel like that's it's I'm not going to say a cop out. You know what I mean? Because it sounds real negative. But I'm just saying you are shortchanging yourself if you're out here, you know, putting all this into the world, but you're not even trying to make your mark. So um, the way I manage stuff, you know, is is really just a question of. Um, I make lists. I make a lot of lists. Um, I prioritize those lists. I do this every single day, like clockwork. And I, you know, I religiously pursue those little check marks. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then as far as like, you know, some some of these things are like big projects. So there's things that are project related, like, you know, I got to get this whole movie done. Right. Mm -hmm. But the movie is a thousand individual tasks and a lot of it is a lot of stuff that I have to delegate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it really just comes down to organization. I organize and once I've organized stuff, um, I, you know, assign a priority of action to it and then I just execute and, you know, I, I just, there's certain factors you just can't control. Right. Mm -hmm. But the stuff you can control you control it. 
the stuff you can't control, you don't stress out about it because, you know, stress will kill you. <laughs> I find, and also talking to other writers, like writing is one of the things that you probably need to apply the most discipline to. Having, you know, certain times, certain environment. Do you, when you write, do you chunk out times in your schedule? Say, hey, I'm going to be writing from this time to this time. I'm going to be in this room. I'm going to shut the door. Then that, or do you just do it, you know, kind of, I don't want to say ad hoc, but like chip away at things. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's absolutely vital to separate that time. For some people, it's, you got to separate yourself completely from everything around you. Um, it just depends how distracting your life is, right? Um, I'm lucky to have people around me that really, they understand, okay, he's getting results, let's back off. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it wasn't always like that, right? And so um, it's, you know, when, when I say I need time, I get my time. But, you know, for a lot of people, if you got like five kids running around in your house, you need to take a vacation. Like you need to... You know, you need to go get a hotel and everyone needs to understand I'm, you know, I'm getting this hotel. So I think and that's the other thing that that people people around us as artists, as creatives need to understand that this isn't just a hobby. You know what I mean? It's not a hobby just because it's not your job. It's not a hobby. This is who you are. And if it's who you are and you can't be who you are. You're going to be crazy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, you can't like be mad at something. Obviously, we don't want people running around snapping and just like, yeah, it's because I couldn't draw pictures. And, you know, but it's like they have you have a right to be who you are. And that means you this time, you know, you have a right to take it so you can do that stuff. And it doesn't matter with whether you're making money from it or not. What matters is, you know, if you don't let me do what I need to do to be to be right in the head, um, then the version of me that you're getting isn't the true version. So, you know, it, it's just it's a trade off. What is your typical day like? Are, are you an early riser? I try to be. I try to be, you know, it really depends on what the night is looking like. You know, I try to stay flexible. Um, generally when I'm trying to be productive, when I like, for example, if I have a task hanging over me, um, especially if I have a movie coming up, like I had a movie coming up right now, right? We already did the deal. It's, I have to make this movie. So now I'm like, okay, so I got the checklist and the tasks and, and the night before I know what time I have to get up because of whatever it is. Um, and I, but I set that schedule based on whatever the task is. Now, if I didn't have a, a pending task, I'd probably get up maybe eight o'clock. You know what I mean? Um, because I, I like my late nights because I find that there's a certain point where you can be very creative. And then I always try to, to I always try to like have a little bit of time that is set aside for whoever's in my life you know, in this case, um, it's, you know, for Candace, but mm -hmm. whoever is, you know, I, you need, you know, maybe for someone else it'll be their kids or whatever it is, but you got to set aside time. So this is like, okay, you have your time. Mm -hmm. I have my time. The job, if you have one, has their time. Everybody gets their time. 
And, you know, if you had your time, then you can't complain when I'm having my time. It's really refreshing to hear what you say about how, you know, you approach every day differently. You hear a lot of these, quote, experts, you know, unquote, or, you know, officially, or, you know, you have to be regimented. You know, you have to wake yourself up at 5 a.m. every day and blah, blah, blah. You know, um, you know, I'm a night owl myself. I'm usually my most creative and get my second wind around, uh, you know, 8 p.m. You know, and I, when I should, should be winding down. And, and I understand, like I've heard, you know, especially, you know, with our industry and so much on the West Coast, I do understand why somebody on the West Coast would have to get up early because a lot of the United States revolves around East Coast time. So if you're getting up eight, nine o'clock, it's already 11, 12 on the East Coast, you've missed half the day. But it's uh, it's nice to hear from someone as accomplished has done so much to say, you know, each, each day is different. If you got to get up early, you get up early. If you could sleep in a little bit, take advantage of it. Because it'll probably all even out in the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always hesitant when I, I hear these people on social media saying, this is the way you become successful. Because every human, and, and that goes for whether it's, you know, weight gain or loss or business success or whatever it is. Every story is different. That's what I learned as a script writer. Every story is different. And, you know, so winning is really all about, first of all, defining what winning means to you. And then, you know, you create your own ethos as you go along. What's important is that you are consistent. You know, I would never, you know, you have to be consistent and and really obsessive about accomplishing tasks. Um, That's what I would say. Task orientation is vital. But as long as you're task oriented. I think that how you execute those tasks really just becomes a question of of uh, trial and error. So, you know, I no, I wouldn't say because there's a lot of people that get up at five in the morning and go to bed at midnight and they're not getting enough sleep. And mm-hmm. because they're not getting enough sleep, they're not as good at thinking on their feet and they're not as successful. I like to say there's a big difference between motion and action. You know, people who get up at five and just they're up and do nothing. You know, as opposed to someone who gets up at seven and just boom, hits the ground. It's the ground running. But I want to go back to something you mentioned about being one's true self. Um, you and I are both veterans. We're both, you know, artists, filmmakers. And I think there is a perception that those two, those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, you know, a military person, you know, kind of, you know, programmed to be this robotic, you know, being that just responds to orders and all that can't be creative, can't be artistic. Um, you've obviously have proven that's not true. Um, I'm trying to prove that's not true. But what would you say? Like, do people ever question you when they say, "See all you've done," and say, "Oh, wow, you you were in the military?" Yeah, all the time. I get that absolutely all the time. So, um, have you seen the show uh, HBO Barry? I've seen parts of it. It is one of my favorite shows on television right now. And the reason is because Barry is a guy who, you know, he's got PTSD and he's really struggling, but he's conscious of the fact that that art is therapy. And that premise is, I think, a vital premise because here's the thing. Veterans need therapy. 
but everybody's in therapy these days, Mm -hmm. right? And so the reality is that, you know, you need to be, most people in today's commercial society do not get a chance to really analyze who they are, what makes them tick, and how they can be the best version of themselves, you know, and and have some really good mental health. So because of that, I think there's a lot of people walking around here crazy right now. Mm-hmm. So the the traditional narrative that veterans are the crazy ones in our mm-hmm. society, I mean, I think we've proven that over and over again that, you know, there's a lot more people out here that's crazy than mm-hmm. veterans. Now, um, you know, with that being said, I think it's not just that. It's the perception that um, people in general are are monolithic, that there's there's just that we can't evolve into more. And I think that and and because I think because of that, that's why people are like, OK, you're a veteran, but you did this. And, you know, how does that happen? You know, it's it's such an anomaly. But the reality is there is a perception in society today that you can only be good at one thing. And if you're good at, you know, the the idea of, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, maybe you can just be a master of all trades. Mm-hmm. We don't, as humans, we don't use, we use a very small percentage of our brain power. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that we believe we can only be good at one thing. Mm-hmm. I oppose that with every atom in my body. I oppose the idea that you can only be good at one thing. I just think that you have to you you have to focus on what it is that you're trying to be good at. If you're not good at it naturally, then you get good at it. But most people aren't willing to put in to sacrifice what it takes to get really good at something. Yeah, and I got to give a shout out to two Marines who have definitely proven that. Um, Adam Driver, mm, yes, Marine, and uh, Rob Riggle. Uh, also, Marine uh, Rob Riggle, you know, Dinfo's trained warrior, as you like to say. And you also mentioned, you know, Barry, the show in the show, ESPTSD, and you know, people always, you know, the perceptions, veterans are crazy. And uh, I'm very sensitive. You know, this is a l- little bit personal. Like, like I'm very sensitive to how veterans are portrayed and the military is portrayed in movies and TV. I find that normally it's one end of the spectrum or the other. They're either you know, crazy PTSD, or they're a super soldier um, that's on there. Sometimes, you know, like Rambo, they're, they're both. Um, what are your th- your thoughts on on that? Do you feel the same way? Do you do you see it changing? It's slightly different because I'm looking at from, from the perspective of, okay, I'm not seeing veterans portrayed, you know. I'm also rarely seeing black veterans portrayed at all. You know what I mean? Um, And you're absolutely right. It's, you know, either the super soldier or the crazy guy Um, and or some like combination of the two. So what I've always sought out to do in in my stories that I've written and, and some of them are, you know, for, you know, from veterans, the Rogue Cell series. Right. Um is tell a story of someone who just simply, you know, who has flaws, who just wants to make a difference. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, 
I think veterans, when you look at veterans, what makes veterans unique in society is that deep desire to make a difference. And everything starts from there. It's like, okay, I want to make a difference. Now you say, well, some veterans, they just want to get their college paid for, right? But do you really think that someone's going to risk their life like just to get their college paid for Like there's, there's something inside you that is saying, you know, if no one will stand up, I will stand up. So there's a, you know, I'm not just saying that, you know, veterans always do the right thing or anything else. I'm saying that there's a moment that moment doesn't happen in everyone's life. Mm -hmm. That moment where I say, if no one will stand up, I will is not something that everybody in their life will have that moment. And I think that that moment is life changing. I think if you harness that moment, it can bring great things. Now, if you don't harness it or if it's used the wrong way, obviously it can go in different directions. But I think that it's important that we tell stories about that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that we don't really see enough stories about that moment and how that moment, you know, how the mentality that connects a human being to that moment can play out in their civilian lives um, afterwards. And so that's that's why I created, you know, I created this character. This is like, okay, you know, he's not the greatest character in the world. He's not a super soldier, just a guy. But he's a guy that, you know, he tried to do the right thing. And then, you know, he, you know, he blurred the lines, uh, of like what the right thing was. And then, you know, he disagreed with his superiors, which, you know, is a no, no in the military. And then the next thing, you know, he's a civilian, he's got PTSD, but his sense of self is I'm not, I'm nothing unless I'm doing something for society. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he finds ways to, to sort of do that. And I think that, you know, I, it's not, sort of to criticize someone else's art form. You know what I mean? It's just to say that for me, um, that's the way that you, you, you need to tell veteran stories. If you, if it's about a veteran and it's veteran centered, you know, don't overlook that part. Right. It's, I think a lot of times, you know, producers, um, you know, especially in, in the big areas, they, they fall back on cliches. And the reason they fall back on cliches is they become cliches because they work, you know, for, for whatever reason, right, right or wrong. I definitely, uh, the, uh, the remake of All in the Family that came out a few years ago, the main characters, she's a female, veteran, nurse. And I think they do an amazing job, you know, with that because it's, it's part of her character. It's part of her story, but it's not everything that, you know, and when the episode, you know, there's episodes where she does deal with her PTSD and there's other episodes where it's not even, you know, you know, her being a veteran isn't even, even a factor. Um, and I like that, that, that most of us are just, you know, we served and now we're, we're, you know, part of our lives now, but now, now we're doing other things. And I think you're, you having success in both the artistic as well as working, you know, with the veterans population, uh, you were rewarded for that when you were given Miami's key to the city 
and probably most, like most veterans, you're probably very humble about it. I said you didn't deserve it, but um, how did that feel? That That's a pretty big honor. I've been in love with Miami since Miami Vice, right? Since I was a kid. Um, so, and I always wanted to move to Miami and I always, you know what I mean? So, so for me, it was just like, you know, being a teenager and saying, hey, that's the city I, you know, everything about that city looks cool. And I, you know what I mean? And then, you know, coming to Miami, living in Miami and building a festival because, you know, a festival is essentially a community. Right. So like building that up from from scratch when you don't have the basis of, you know, no one I went to high school with lives in Miami, right? And so it's just like, I'm starting from scratch um, in a place where they have tons of festivals. Mm-hmm. So that moment signified so much growth for me. It signifies, it, it, it was just, it was a, tr- it had a tremendous amount of meaning for me. And, and really it just felt like the city was, re- you know, I've been recognizing the city since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And now the city is recognizing me. So it, you know, it's still something. I look at that thing every single day, polish it up a little bit. And you know what I mean? And it's just like, um, and people joke with me, well, that, that key won't open anything. That key has opened everything. Awesome. Again, a, a great honor. You know, it was a few years ago, but congratulations on that. Definitely well-deserved. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, but first, we would like to thank our partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who has been providing filmmaking equipment, training, and services to the film industry both inside and outside the United States since 1968. M2 Films, who provides directing, writing, and assistant director services. ComTV, who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment, marketing, advertising, and commercial projects. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. We are back with Brian Thompson. I mentioned earlier your film, Noventa. Uh, we've talked a little bit about your sci-fi action series, The Cell. You also produce another feature uh, called El Sueño that, uh, that also addresses immigration policies. All of these, you know, tackle difficult topics. What is it that drew you to those topics? And, and I commend you for taking them on, but, you know, was there hesitation, reluctance, like what made you decide I want to take on these issues? It, it's fun. Uh, I mean, it, it's, I think it's fun stirring the pot a little bit, you know what I mean? Um, but I, I think also as an artist, you have to be fearless about expressing yourself. Um, it's nice to be indie in the sense that you can, you know, I'll write something and I say to myself frequently, actually, um, Either they're going to like this or they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it because I, you know, I'm just putting it out there the way it is. Like, for example, um, when we did El Sueño, it was very controversial. I mean, immigration reform is controversial now. But at the time that we did it, it was just it was just a thing where it's like, you know, you were on one side of the fence or you were the other. It's like, keep them out or let them all in. You know what I mean? And I wanted to present a storyline that was a nuanced approach to it, right? So it's not, you know, it's not one or the other. It's really just, 
you know, if you're going to have this discussion, you must have it based on the idea that you, we're talking about people and regular people with regular lives who want the same thing that everybody else wants. So I actually wrote that movie in conjunction with um, one of my acting students. But I wrote that movie. Everything I put in that movie was designed to to speak to average Americans, not immigrants, because I wanted people to just just see a story and then process the story and then say, in light of the story, now what do you think? You said something really profound that, you know, with, with immigration, keep them all out, let them all in. I think people are looking for easy answers to really difficult complex issues and that and that's you know that's a whole there's podcasts out there to talk about that um but i do you know you mentioned osuenio that you wrote it with 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 an acting student of yours and the story behind that and how that came to be and what it went through i i think it's so interesting i think that could almost be a movie in itself the story of, of that but talk about that a little bit it's a good idea. I think you might have given me something. Where's my notepad? So uh, I'll send you a bill for ten percent. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So in El Paso, um, I'm stationed there. At this point, um, you know, I don't really have a high op tempo. Um, I'm in this holding pattern um, for the bar exam, and you know, um, and because of that, you know. Like, I'm not obsessing over Army stuff at night, right? And I want to stay connected somehow to the artistic community. So I sign up for acting classes. There's a, a studio that has acting classes there. And, you know, acting classes, you meet people who come from Hollywood. And for whatever reason, they found themselves in that particular city. And it's a good way to kind of keep your skills sharp. So that was my whole motivation. I sign up. Um, I send them my demo reel because I want them not to put me in the beginner's acting class. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the school contacts me and says, uh, we want you to teach. <laughs> and so I'm like, so you're going to pay me instead of me having to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I end up spending a lot more time there than I had hoped to, but it was a great experience. Um, teaching, so, you know, like I told you earlier, you know, a, a teacher changed my whole life, right? The my, um, my Spanish teacher changed my entire life. I'm in high school. I'm studying. Um, I, had, I had to take a language, so I'm studying Spanish. And I had the Spanish teacher who was a former Marine. He's missing a finger. And, you know, he made us do push-ups in class. And, you know, that finger, I don't know if you ever met somebody that was missing a finger. Oh, yeah. And the end of it kind of looks like a butt. It's a so he's going to put that butt in your chest. And, you know, I mean, if you can do your homework. It's, long story short, I was fluent in Spanish by the time I graduated high school. It's funny. Florida, you know, has, you know, passed legislation or whatever where I'm trying to get veterans into teaching. And all I could think of is uh, the key and peel skit with the substitute teacher. D that would be veterans in the classroom. Right. You know, A-Ron, <laughs> exactly. Balake. Uh, um, you are what and, I and, uh, say you yeah, are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Old Shag Hennessy. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
No, I wasn't that kind of teacher. Okay, I was not. You know, my students will attest to the fact but, that. But I'm sure the Marine had. He did have an impact on you. Yeah. Oh, he was just like that. But he was also smooth with it. You know what I mean? I mean, he had survived the Korean War, and he was just like he had the. You know, you ever meet these guys who have the attitudes like nobody's shooting at us, so the the stress level is going. As long as nobody's shooting at me, I'm good. You know what I mean? So that was kind of his attitude. But he would he would turn it up a notch if he felt like you needed that wall to wall counseling. You know what I mean? Well, and if he was a Marine in Korea, the Marines in Korea, it was uh, you know, someone said there's you know, we're surrounded and Chesty Polar said, Good, we could shoot in any direction. So, <laughs> right. so yeah. It's 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 yeah. definitely my mental and you know, just it just reminded me of a story and I don't want to get us off topic too quick. When I went to artillery school, I get there. Uh, you know, I have a couple of days killed. We're playing football. I ended up getting need in the head. You know, concussion, had some other stuff going on. They gave me some meds. And then that week we have our first urinalysis. Go through all that. You know, not really thinking that. And a week later, I get called into the first sergeant's office. He puts me at attention. He reads me my rights, telling me that I tested positive for a controlled substance. I'm, you know, um, you know, not literally pooping my pants, but on that. And then he tells me, but we cross-checked it with your medical records and saw that you were prescribed Tylenol with codeine, so you're free to go. That's just the level of the games that, that they play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very familiar. First Sergeant Camacho. Never forget him. <laughs> so, again, you're, we were talking about uh, El Sueño. Yeah, so I'm teaching, and one of my students uh, brings me this project. Um, it was a short film, it's about eight pages long, and it had to do with immigration reform. So I started, you know, it was it had to do with the Dream Act. And at the time, I didn't know. I had I had a law degree. I didn't know what the Dream Act was. So he explained it to me. He explained that, you know, even he had been living undocumented in the U.S. for a while. Um, and so he was living with this pressure of, you know, not wanting to get deported. And um, he explained some things to me that really made it clear that this is a concept, not just um, not just for a short film, but really it should be a feature. So, you know, at this point, I already had experience with, you know, writing movies. And, you know, I, like I mentioned my process from start to finish. I could see the whole thing. So I'm adding the Hollywood style elements. You know what I mean? I'm adding that that big story to go behind it to sort of elaborate the point and breathe life into these characters. And, you know, one thing led to another um, and we ended up making this feature film. Um, I will say this. We made a short first and the short was about 30 minutes. We hired someone to do the short who happened to be from another country, flew him in because I was like, OK, I got to have the best quality. And I had met this guy and and, you know, it was just like, that's what it's going to be. Right. Um, we didn't end up getting the footage for a long time. And by the time we got the footage, it just wasn't it wasn't what it needed to be as a proof of concept in order to be able to try to get money for it. So we went back to the drawing board. Now, mind you, six months has passed, 
since we filmed. We went back to the drawing board and then created, I sat down uh, with Umberto, my student, and I said, okay, we're going to make this thing happen. So, And we just sat there for like eight hours. And we're just like, okay, so what happens after this? All right. And then after that, what happens there? And we talked this thing through for eight hours straight now. And then at the end of that conversation, mind you, not taking any notes. Maybe it was six hours. I think I'm exaggerating. I have the tendency to exaggerate. I think it was six hours. But long story short, it was a long ass time, right? And so, and when the conversation was done, we're like, okay, we're going to make this happen. And Berta looks at me like, okay, well, uh, write the script out. And I'm like, okay. And I'm about a week later, I think, I had written everything down. We both liked it. And then we started making this feature film. And, you know, the everything in that storyline, everything that was driving the storyline was really, it's a love story. It's two people who were born into an uncomfortable situation. They're trying to find their way. Um, they're both navigating like regular humans. They're navigating obstacles and temptations because their only hope for a lifestyle where they don't have to look over their shoulder for ice is that the dream act gets passed. And, and, you know, all they really want is just go to college and, you know, have a, a normal, successful American dream. Really interesting. Do you, have, do you ever worry that your message will be misinterpreted? I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, I count on it. Because I know that it's going to be misinterpreted, but I also feel like that's kind of part of the journey. You know, that's part of the dialogue is part of the journey. Um, You know, when someone misinterprets, if they're willing to listen, it gives me an opportunity to talk it through. And if they misinterpret and they're not willing to listen, that's not my my audience anyway. Yeah, what? Yeah, what? What would you say to filmmakers that want to take on, you know, these difficult or controversial topics? Like we talked about immigration. Obviously, I mean, there's pro-life versus pro-choice. There's gun control versus gun rights, uh, racism, anti-Semitism, LGBTQ plus uh, trans rights, just to name a few. Um, I definitely think what you mentioned, independent filmmakers can do have a much better chance to do those because – you know, big studios are so risk averse um, yeah. on that. They don't want to touch a lot of a lot of those things. But for someone who just wants to take on that challenge, what would you say to them? What would you say to them? So first, if you're, it's kind of like the military. If you're the one of the only people that's willing to step up and tell the story, then you have an obligation to tell the story because who else is going to tell it, right? And so. What I would tell them is start from that. Start from the fact that you have an obligation to tell this story. This isn't like an optional thing. Then, you know, from a strategy standpoint, you need to look at, you know, look in your heart and say, what do I really believe about this topic? And then look at anyone who would oppose that topic and say to yourself, what do they believe about this topic? And so then you have a choice to make because it's either you're going to present all facts or you're going to present 
a dialogue that's really one-sided where you're just sort of putting forth your point of view. Um, you know, as a debater, as a legal mind, as a scholar, I look at things from the standpoint of, okay, if you don't agree with me, I want to lay all the facts on the table and I want to force you to process those facts. And once you've processed those facts that you might have been ignoring, let's see if you still disagree with me. Now, if you still disagree with me, that's one thing, you know, and that's your prerogative. But at least I did my job to bring out things that you may have missing because we all have blind spots, you know, um, when it comes to our perceptions of reality. Yeah. I, and I would say, you know, especially, you know, LGBTQ plus trans, um, Miami, I've seen has really become a Mecca, um, for, for, for queer films, for, for gay films, a lot of them on that. And before I moved to, to, to Miami, you know, I'd seen, you know, I knew, you know, the big ones, you know, and all that, but really, you know, hadn't seen these more personal stories, you know, that, that I've seen down, down here. Then again, you know, being in Washington, D.C. for 13 years, I get a front, a front row seat to all of those, those controversial topics. Yeah. And I think um, even with that, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to you really have to acknowledge um, why someone doesn't agree with you. Right. Like you're not entitled to like as a black person, I'm not entitled to, you know, why people liking me. You know what I mean? If, you know, I don't think that any group is entitled to another group liking me. What I'm entitled to, I think, is an open dialogue as to why mm -hmm. and, you know, how do we come together? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are a lot of people who, for religious reasons, are, are, you know, really concerned, for example, with that community. And, you know, we... I think the dialogue needs to happen because, look, I can't look at another person and say you shouldn't exist. You know what I mean? So I think that I think art needs to generate conversation. It's a great, it's a great point. So uh, deep breath. We talked about the heavy stuff. Now uh, let's switch gears. You uh, after doing taking on those heavy topics, you switched, did some more lighthearted projects. Let's hear about those. Yeah. So. Um, it's interesting, like all of to me, all my projects have some some heavy stuff in them. Right. I just sprinkle it in there. Um, so I did this a series of films called The Carters. Right. I did Thanksgiving with the Carters, uh, Christmas with the Carters, Thanksgiving with the Carters, two second helping <laughs> and the Carters family reunion. And it all revolves around this family um, that just has crazy antics, you know, during these holidays. But what. The core of the story is about um, the a man who got caught up in the privatized prison system and he was wrongfully convicted and then he was exonerated and they let him come home on Thanksgiving. So because of that, his family and then his uh, descendants, they created this tradition called um, Thanksgiving Surprise where every Thanksgiving you bring like a, you surprise the family with something. Right. Um, and so that movie, it really, it really touches on, you know, the prison system and, and uh, prison reform and that sort of thing. Um, even, you know, in my case, I 
play someone who um, is incarcerated is not exonerated, but, you know, is afforded a good representation and then later becomes an attorney. Um, and so, and the, the lead character the, as a um, female actress um, named Sophia Knowlton, and she is actually an attorney. So, um, and so throughout this whole series of movies, we always have these little themes here, you know, um, the second movie that is, is all about, um, it's, it's, you know, without getting too deep into the plot, it really touches on, um, the need to create, uh, generational wealth in the black community, right. And to sort of, um, replace and create, um, in, you know, create opportunities and so on. So I, I'm always touched, even in the comedy, and some of the comedy is very slapstick. For example, um, in Thanksgiving 2, there is a bear who gets extremely high on gummies. Um, <laughs> you say cocaine. And right. By the like, way, my, my movie came out before Cocaine Bear. <laughs> uh, let me just put that out there. <laughs> so, um, But a good crossover. Yeah. <laughs> Valentine's Day was inspired by... Um, some close family members that got a divorce. Mm -hmm. And so the storyline is about these, you know, two people who they're desperate to get a divorce. And a law was recently passed that requires them to have X number of hours of counseling in order to get this divorce. And because that law was passed, there's a rush on all the therapists. So they, the earliest they could possibly get divorced and comply with this law is a year. And their only alternative is to survive this weekend of intense therapy, which just goes off the rails. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love dark comedy. I grew up Mel Brooks, sort of, you know, that type of stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a comedy fan at, at heart, but, you know, great, great stuff. Uh, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to come back and we'll talk about what you're currently working on and what's in it coming up in the future for you. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating. Then you can head over to our online store at www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash shop where you can purchase cinema pathway gear including t-shirts hoodies stickers and more also be sure to follow us on instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more We are back. This is the part of the podcast where our guests talk about what they're working on and what's coming up in their future. I believe you are going to set the Cinema Pathway podcast record for the shortest time between mentioning something and it actually taking place. So what do you have going on? (laughs) Well, two hours from now at 3 p.m., we have the premiere of the movie as two hours from now. Actually, three hours from now, um, we have the premiere of the movie Dirt. Um, it's going to be at the Savoy Cinema. Um, the red carpet starts right at three. We're going to have I have actually my cast has flown into town from different places, from Texas and, you know, just different places throughout. Um, I even have crew here. 
So it's going to be a great time. We'll have a good Q&A afterwards. Um, you know, everybody gets a sneak peek at the film before it comes out on all the platforms, Peacock and Amazon and all those other places. What's, uh, not going to ask you the whole plot, but what's the, uh, what's the log line? What's the synopsis? So when his partner is kidnapped, a rogue detective must join forces with a felon, the felon's wife, and his two mistresses in order to bring down a crime syndicate. Action comedy? Yes, definitely. Is it? Is it? That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds really exciting. I, I, I wish I could uh, join you. I wish you could, too. It's going to be a great time. And then what, what's coming up after that? Well, the sequel has already been greenlit. So the sequel is called uh, Clutch. And it's really, well, I don't want to spoil too much of it, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Dirt yet. But it is a continuation. When you watch Dirt... Um, you know, after make sure that you watch all the credits and after the credits, there's another scene that will let you know what's going to happen in the next movie. Nice po- post credit scenes. Thank you, Marvel, for making those <laughs> those uh, the standard. Yeah. Uh, what what else do you have going? I mean, I know you always have a thousand things going on, but aside from the premiere and the sequel being greenlit, any other projects? I Yeah. So I'm working on a project um, in Spain. It's called Rough Dog. It's another action project. Um, this one I'm not directing. The director, uh, his name is George Karja. He is a phenomenal, first of all, um, he's a phenomenal martial artist, okay? And when you have a martial artist who's directing an action movie, what you get is insane fight scenes. And he's doing his own fight scene choreography. So we did like the first scene of the movie. Um, well, well, the first scene that we filmed of the movie, it's not the first scene that appears in the movie, but, um, it's my scene, right? Mm-hmm. So, and we filmed, uh, for a day and a half to get this scene done. And I mean, when I say it, like the whole time I'm on my feet doing, you know, fighting these 10 guys mm-hmm. and it was just, it's the best experience I've ever had, um, on set because, you know, this guy's so professional. And so, we, and we did this in Madrid. Mm-hmm. So this entire film, even though it's a film in English, is being filmed in Madrid um, with predominantly Spanish actors who are speaking English. Um, I'm assisting them where possible with their accents and so on. But it's, I'm really excited about that movie as well. Filming in Madrid, that that must have been awful. <laughs> yes. You know, sometimes we make sacrifices yeah, for the art. You know, yeah, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice sacrifice for the art. So, so you've really kind of moved more in the action comedy. It's something that I think is missing a lot today. I mean, you know, we grew up the heyday. You know, Eddie Murphy, you know, Beverly Hills Cop. You know, even Die Hard has has some comedy. Forty Eight Hours movies. You know, I mean, the eighties. You know, were its own kind of animal. I can't think of any really good action movies that have like gotten into the zeitgeist. Like like those are in the last twenty years. There've been attempts. The um, you know the Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson ones. I really enjoy those, um, by the way. Um, yeah. But again, they're not. I can't even think of the name of it. And I'm like a movie geek. They use usually all all Hitman's the Hitman's bodyguard. Hitman's bodyguard. Yeah. Is your hope to to get those kind of movies like more into that pop culture zeitgeist, more like like well known in in that you know same conversation? Yeah, I think it's it's important as a as an independent creator. Um, to focus on, you know, what I think they say in the military, like saw the wood in front of you. You know, I want to be 
a better version of myself every time I do a movie. I want my movies to be better than the last movie. Um, I'm going to take every resource that I have um, and I'm going to create the best product. Like, I mean, all of my films, even though they've done really well and they've made money, um, they've been done on, you know, what most would consider a micro budget. So the the way I look at the industry, I have this this relationship with the industry where it's like, okay, I do a, a good movie. Um, the I get more credibility from doing that good movie. And then it's easier for me to get, for example, product placement sponsors and, and potentially investment. And then I do another movie with that. And then I I every time I get incrementally more success, I get incrementally more support in order to build up to that point. So I don't necessarily look at um, a particular goal in mind because I don't want to limit myself. Um, I see what Tyler Perry is doing right now. He doesn't make action. Uh, really, but, um, you know, it's not his forte, but in terms of, from a business perspective, how he's been able to grow and evolve, um, without, you know, the powers that be coming down and saying, you are the person now, you know what I mean? Um, that has not happened for a lot of the vast majority of independent filmmakers. No, you know, the powers that be haven't really given them their break. So I'm not necessarily looking for that. Okay. I'm just looking for, I want to make the best quality product that I can. I want to be able to look at my movies and look myself in the mirror and say, you did a good job. And, you know, the reality is every time I make a movie, I'm looking at myself like, you know what you could have done better? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so we haven't gotten to that point. And if there is any end goal, that's the end goal. And I believe that maybe after about 100 movies, um, by the 100th movie, I have to be at that place. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. Awesome. Um, who would you say your influences are? <laughs> so, um, awesome. um, who would you say your influences are? Definitely Adam Sandler, Tyler Perry, John Singleton, Gone, um, gone too soon. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would say definitely Stallone. Um, I have to say Schwarzenegger, um, but Stallone from a storytelling. You know what I mean? I was gonna say Stallone. I just watched is a great documentary on him, like working on the director's cut of Rocky Four. Everyone you know, Stallone, you know, the way he talks. But I honestly think. If he wasn't so focused on being, you know, the world's biggest action star and, dirt, you know, doing that, he would basically be like, like Clint Eastwood. I mean, he would have been, you know, an amazing director. Like, he could have made great films, great writer. I mean, you, you can see, like, how he gets, you know, his mindset, his thinking process through this um, the reason, yeah, I mean, the reason I like Stallone is because of how he came into the business and all the doors that were closed to him. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like 
Hollywood is like a big pickup game, right? And it's just like, okay, I'll pick you and you and you, not you. And then everybody just comes back tomorrow and just like, pick me, pick me. You know, maybe you get picked, maybe you don't get picked, right? So I feel like Stallone was the guy that didn't get picked. And then he made his own movie and he he was like, yeah, but I'm playing in this game. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you didn't want to pick me, but if you want to use my ball, I'm playing in this game. And I feel like that I, I connect with that on many levels. Um, and so I think that, you know, he's he's definitely been a tremendous influence on my work. So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely Stallone has definitely been um, one of the influences that that I would know. And, you know, it's not in any particular order either. You know what I mean? So I would say Stallone has definitely been one of the influences um, not in any particular order, but but definitely huge impact and and directors like that. I'm sure I'm lift, leaving some out. You talk about having a seat at the table. What would you say to young and aspiring black filmmakers who feel that you know they're never going to get their chance to sit at the table, like there's not or there isn't a, a spot at the table for them? Well, I think that you're looking at it wrong. If you know, you have to look at it more like. My job is to tell these stories to have an impact on people. And if my job is to tell these stories, I'm going to do that job with whatever hammer I have. And if I don't have a hammer, I'm going to make a hammer. You focus on the work and you focus on building your own table versus trying to sit at someone else's table. And eventually they'll come and sit at yours. Interesting. Yeah. If uh, And on that, if somebody really wanted to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you give them? First of all, don't expect it to be easy. Um, it's it's hard. It's always hard. It's hard today. I mean, um, there's a lot of things that I'm doing after this in order to prepare for the premiere that, you know, I, I think that a lot of people will believe that after you have 10 movies under your belt, you don't have to do these things, right? Um, but the reality is you just have to be willing to do the work. And if you're willing to do the work, um, you know, you can see the results. So I'm, you know, I think that a lot of people, when they look at a thing that they that they want, particularly like this, they underestimate how much work it's going to be. And that's OK. You know, that's human nature. But you have to have the mindset that it doesn't matter how much work is involved in it. There's never going to be a point where I say, Eh, that's too much work. I don't think because if if you do that, you've wasted all. If you ever give up, you've wasted all that effort that you could have been using to do something else. We haven't had a chance to talk as much about the Miami Web Fest, so I definitely want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about that. So Miami Web Fest, we were founded in 2014. It is the film festival for web series. Um, we get submissions from all over the world web series, short films, trailers, and we are expanding now to make sure that we have podcasts. And in addition to podcasts, music videos. <clears throat> We're expanding now to include podcasts and in addition to podcasts, music videos. The reason why music videos is so important is because I've discovered in this past year there's so many artists out there that they need that experiential marketing effect. 
They need that thing that used to exist in the 80s and 90s that doesn't exist anymore. Thanks to social media, everyone just thinks, okay, you got to have a social media following. But there's millions of people with a social media following. I need you to feel my music. And as a former singer, I, I relate to that a lot. So, and then the podcast, same thing. It's like, you know, I think that we have to get into the habit. I'm not saying that social media is bad or evil or anything, but we have to get into the habit of talking to people face to face and building our brands through a handshake and a look in the eyes. How do you define a web series? I'm sure it has a change since, you know, the advent of all the streaming networks because, you know, well, I look at Netflix on the web, right. you know, you know, is a series on Netflix eligible? So, so here's the thing. Um, if there are series on Netflix that want to submit to Miami Web Fed, we'll absolutely consider them. Um, but, but the idea is it's episodic content. So some people create episodic content. If you're an independent filmmaker, emerging filmmaker, then you're creating episodic content that probably is 10-minute episodes, maybe 10 episodes, right? Sometimes you've only created three episodes. But if it's an episode, episodic content that makes sense and it's competitive and it looks good and you're, you know, you're hitting all the marks in terms of sound and color and style and storyline, um, then we want to see it. We have had over the years quite a few uh, projects that have ironically gotten picked up by Netflix. Um, you know, Gringolandia and uh, Daimonium and there's a, a Perfect Girl. They were all picked up. Um, they all came through Miami Web Fest and they all got picked up by Netflix. Um, but that, you know, that was the reason I founded Miami Web Fest to begin with is because I noticed that there was a trend of programs like um, Insecure that started as web series or uh, Broad City. And they started as a web series, a YouTube based web series, independent. And next thing you know, they're on Comedy Central and HBO. And so that, that was the premise for starting it. But then I realized we got so much momentum, so much incredible, exciting momentum, partly because Miami's just awesome. I mean, who doesn't want to come to Miami, right? And celebrate and be celebrated as a filmmaker. So we got, you know, so much momentum that we wanted to make sure we included other you know, what I consider to be underrepresented um, parts of the industry. So short films, I wouldn't say short films are underrepresented, but they, you know, the they get a new market when they come to Miami Web Fest. Right. They get access to a new group of people, which is really exciting for them. Um, and then. The for the music video portion, that's really important. And then, um, you know, podcast, we just started doing podcasts last year and it was phenomenal for us. And, and you know, let's face it, podcasts are blowing up right now. You know, that's that's the new um, that's the new thing. Mm -hmm. And so we we want to be on top of everything and we want to make sure that we give everyone their shine. So that's what we're doing, and it's 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 going great. This is our ten year anniversary. I can't believe it either. So has the twenty twenty three Miami Web Fest already taken place? I had too many movies to make this okay. year, um, and so I didn't do a twenty twenty three Miami Web Fest. Um, and partly was you know it it was the the number of movies that we had, but also it was just the logistics, right? Because um, we like to do it at the Fillmore in Miami Beach. Fillmore is under construction. 
Um, and we, you know, we're hoping that they will no longer be under construction, but if they're not, we'll have to move to a different venue. But the Fillmore has always been a really good venue for us for a lot of reasons. Are you still taking submissions? We are. Yeah. Okay. And where can our listeners find out about it? So they go to filmfreeway.com slash Miami Webfest, um, or they can just go to miamiwebfest.com that Miami like the city web, like website, fest like festival. Dot com. Great. And uh, where can our listeners, you know, learn more about you? You know, follow you on social media or, uh, you know, check out your IMDb. Sure. So my IMDb, if you're going to look for me on IMDb, it's B-R-Y-A-N and then my middle initial G and then Thompson, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. If you want to follow me, um, our my the websites where you can follow me are ImaniFilms.com. That's I, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy. I, Imani, which means faith in Swahili, ImaniFilms.com. Or you can, if you're interested in my most recent work, you can go to WatchDirt.com. Dirt as in dirty as you want to be. Um, you can find me there. My Instagram handles are uh, ImaniFilms, at Brian G. Thompson, and at Dirt the Movie. Great. And we will be including all these links uh, in our episode summary. So for those that are listening, you don't have to remember all that. You can just go to the episode summary and click on the link. Um, last question. Are there any other like causes or organizations that you're involved with that you want a chance to plug and, and give a shout out to? I would like to shout out Mission United. Um, Mission United was uh, a good, um, you know, really good starting point for for me in terms of reaching out to veterans um you know there's a ton of veteran organizations out there that have been tremendously helpful um so i appreciate them and of course miami web fest we are a 501c3 so if anyone um, wants to support the arts they can go to the website again 501c3 miami web fest miami web series festival inc is our official name and we appreciate all the support that the community has given us and continues to give us. Brian, this has been amazing, so informative, so inspiring to hear to hear your story. You know, we, we, we talk with all our guests about their journey and, you know, everyone's is different um, and everyone's is unique. And, and, you know, you've definitely had one of the most unique stories we heard. Uh, I thank you for being here today. We would gladly welcome you back on the podcast in the future i'm excited to see what's next and best of luck to you i appreciate it no this has been awesome thank you so much for having me and can't wait to come back and tell you more stuff great good luck this afternoon i know it's gonna be great thank you to our listeners thank you again for joining us on the cinema pathway podcast today i'm your host howard brand our director is miguel miller our producer is juliette san with associate producer victor ferreira the executive producer is freddie r rodriguez this has been a presentation of paradoxical films please visit our website www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast, you can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you could send any comments or suggestions for future episodes. Remember to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and visit our online store at www 
www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash store to get your Cinema Pathway gear and follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We hope you will join us for our next episode where we will continue bringing on special guests to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Lights out.